It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. I am Jack Allen. Go follow me at Kojak Podcast. We got a new Patreon. Oh, at Kojak Podcast. Go follow me. You want to support the show. I have a Venmo. I have a Patreon. Shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Sir Tim of the Tunnels. Tim currently resides in the tunnels. He cleans them out with Donald Trump, protecting, saving the children. So, Tim, thank you for your donation, your valiant work. I'm just joking, obviously. But Tim's a great guy. If you're not following, he's always comments on my, my Twitter. So go follow Tim. He's an awesome guy. But today's show, it was with me, Odd Man, and a, an, another awesome guy I met on Twitter, uh, Phil. And Odd Man and I are relatively quiet. You just hear me saying, damn, and what? But Phil was so impressive, dude, guys. If you guys don't know about Watergate or Nixon, you don't need to read another book again about it because Phil will give you every name involved. I mean, dude. Phil's, uh, I'm, I'm just gonna be singing his praises. Brilliant guy. I, there's so, there, like Chris Graves is another one. Um, shout out to Chris, Phil. There's some people that just their brain works differently than everybody else's. They can remember John from We've Read. They can remember these names. I can't do that. That's why when I come on people's shows, if there's not a topic, I, I'm, I'm usually disappointed in myself because I can read my notes, but I can't recollect and pull these names out. Um, you know, I can remember big topics, and I'm sure many of you resonate with that. You're probably very similar to me. But every once in a while, God blesses people with these amazing brains, and Phil is one of those people. So it was an awesome show. We talked Watergate, Nixon, and all these things kind of circling around that whole event. And uh, yeah, it was just awesome. I loved it. So I finally understand Watergate, 
and hopefully I sound okay. I got the podcast studio. If you're watching, if you watch it, you will notice I am not in my normal location. This is because like Harry Potter, I was put under the stairs, in my case, in a closet. So if you wish to write me, I'm Jack3333 in the closet under the stairs. If you wish to write me a letter, I don't know if this is a funny joke. I'm going to end it here. But guys, I'm Jack Allen, conspiracy or just a coincidence. Go follow me if you want to support the show. Thanks for your time. I'll be live tomorrow with another uh, a new hero or a new challenger or whatever you want to call it, a guy that has done amazing research on the Sabbateans and the Kabbalist and the, these people's connections and all this stuff. He's in, he's gonna. I'm really excited for this one as well. So tomorrow, 8.30, and then we may have a super, super special surprise guest on Thursday. We will see. Um, I've sent out the, the invite to see if he will accept. So I'm not going to break the name yet, but you all definitely have heard of him. He's got over a hundred thousand Twitter followers, a brilliant guy. So I'm really looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, so that's it guys. I'm Jack Allen. Thanks for listening. Much love. God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care, everybody. Peace. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. I am Jack Allen. Go follow me at Kojak Podcast. That's all the, the intro I do. If you'll notice, my room, I actually, I am like Harry Potter. I am in a closet. I got the boot from my office, so I am now the podcaster under the stairs, if you'd wish to write me. But I've got two great guests. Uh, Oddman, thank you for coming. Everyone knows Oddman, but welcome. How are you doing today, Oddman? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for inviting me. It's always great to be here, and I'm really looking forward to checking out this subject because I don't know much about it. Love it, dude. You and me both. And then, so I got, so a real quick, quick background. So Phil is our, our other guest. Phil, you meet so many awesome people on Twitter. Phil is, I, and so you get a lot of people that are a little odd to message you. So you never know. But Phil, he kept, he, I remember during our serial killer show, he, we couldn't think of somebody's name. He sent me the message of who the name was. And that, that was when I was like, all right, I, I got to get Phil on the show. He clearly is, is more well-read than me. So Phil, Thanks for coming. Welcome, dude. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing good. End of a long day, but a, a good good end to a long day. So I love it, dude. I love it. No, and so really, you you how when did you start real like quick? When did you start diving into to conspiracies or whatever you want to call this? Um, you know, I remember a conversation I had with my mom and my uncle. It was very random when I was a kid, and we were talking about Kennedy. Okay. And I was like, so this guy, this guy, Lee Harvey Oswald did it. And I remember my aunt, uh, my mom and my uncle both looked and they were like, no, that's not the whole story. <laughs> and that was just something that that was just one. And then when Vince Foster died, you know, the, the Clinton's lawyer and Bill Clinton's childhood friend. And I remember my dad talking to the barbershop because barbershops are great for conversation. Yeah, he yeah. talked to my barber and he's like, nope. He's like, they knew, you know, they knew there's something going on there. And my grandfather telling me about Lincoln and the assassination and Ooh. like, I guess stuff he read because my grandfather was very well read. And I, you know, just, I can remember that conversation clear as day, him telling me about the other people involved and, you know, it's conversations I wish I could remember more of, but I got yeah. just enough to be like, and I remember reading, um, what was it? I think it was the 60 greatest conspiracies of all time, which uh, was a collection. And I got it, okay. I think at high school. And it was wow. the X-Files in and around that time. And they have nice. so many great different chapters of conspiracies. And, you know, 
the more you look at these things, how much are you willing to disregard in favor of saying it's all a coincidence? Yeah. You know, like JFK, they had Oswald for two days in the Dallas Police Department. Yeah. He doesn't confess. The guy who's a loser looking to make a name for himself never says, I did it. You know, like we didn't get anything out of that. And then <laughs> Ruby, you know, the, the patriotic nightclub owner who just manages to waltz into the Dallas Police Department and shoot some live on television. And then to spare Jackie the burden of a trial. <laughs> you know, like that's that's, that's Dude, a lot I've of never heard it explained that way, but that's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, you gotta put you gotta put that along with the clip that uh Charlie from Macroaggressions plays with the um the hijacker's passport was yeah. found uh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, if you can believe that. <laughs> well, I remember in uh I think it was in Chaos that book, they talk about how Ruby uh, he he wasn't odd man, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he get dosed with like he was getting interrogated or he was gonna talk and he met up with Jolly West. Dr. Jolly West, the evil guy in Philip, you know, and I think he doses Ruby right before, right before, or maybe I can't remember this story. If it was like before his trial, before he was interviewed, I think he doses him and then he just goes insane and never comes back. Is do you do you know that filler or odd man? Um, so Ruby got Ruby got convicted, right? Yeah, and his lawyer was Melvin Belli, his original lawyer. Melvin Belli would be the one that the Zodiac would reach out to. So if you really want to Dude, talk about how crazy you go there. Are yeah. you, oh, my God. God. Belli seemed not to have shown up for the trial because in the end, Ruby was going to face the death sentence for killing Oswald. Yeah. And then Ruby's, they, they threw the verdict out. He was going to be retried again. And then next thing you know, he dies of cancer. So it was very quick. And I mean, if you want to talk, I mean, the strangeness with Ruby, I mean... I think it was three guys who get let into Ruby's apartment after Ruby shoots Oswald. All three guys are dead within like two years. One guy's killed with a karate chop to the throat coming out of a shower. One is shot in the police station by a cop who's twirling his gun. And another one was a quick heart attack. Oh my, a karate chop to the karate neck. Karate chop to the neck. Yep. I hate when that happens. I've always, I've come out of every shower ready. Wait <laughs> Someone Dude. decides to do a little uh, karate kid and then lights out. Well, it that kind of reminds me of the, uh, it's a documentary on like about at the moon and it's like French or German. I can't remember who, which it's another language and Kissinger's in it, Rumsfeld's in it. And they, and some, I don't know how they got Kissinger to talk about this. I think it might be a funny way, a funny thing. I don't know. I can't remember, but, and he openly talks about how these three CIA guys, they were involved with the, the moon landing hoax, with uh and somehow they 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 thought they were going to be killed so they all run to like different places they one goes like vietnam he gets like sh shelled with like a hundred like a machine gun just goes off on his car they another one drowns but these three guys that were directly involved with like the moon landing thing they all die these horrible like murderous deaths and it's just hilarious how many times does this need to happen before people are like oh that you know, that seems a little odd well, the Kennedy assassination was over 100, so 100 witnesses are, um, I think, I mean, the only thing that can compete with that is maybe the Clinton body count. But, uh, yeah. yeah, the I think they said Jim Mars, the late Jim Mars, had tracked it in his book Crossfire. It was well over 100 between immediately after the assassination through the House Select Committee on Assassination, so about a dozen years. Damn, dude. Yeah. Alan you could you couldn't just say, okay, natural, natural. I mean, right. David Ferry and his handler 
die within 24 hours of each other. You know, David Ferry was the one that uh, Joe Pesci played in JFK. Ah. But he was like a hotshot pilot and defrocked priest, amongst other things, because he was a pedophile, too. No, he was a defrocked priest. Yeah, he was. It was part of. I think his uh, the church was like the old Catholic. It wasn't. I think like a recognized one. I think it was like a yeah. breakaway. Okay. Um, but yeah, Ferry worked for Eastern Airlines, and he got fired for I think they said moral turpitude, and he was Carlos Marcelo, the mob boss's pilot. Wow. Yeah, F- Ferry's an interesting guy. Um, I mean, if you ever want to talk JFK, you got to talk the the guy who Charlie has on Day Zero, Corey Hughes. He's writing a book on JFK. And I mean, JFK is different, but there are connections with JFK's assassination and Watergate. There are some figures who walk through that. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. Perfect. Because the the topic for tonight, if you, I know, is Watergate and Nixon. Both Ami and I are a little weak, but Ami, just jump in anytime, dude. Sure, man. But Phil is our, our Watergate. And so, just as I've read a few, like I'm so bad at Watergate, but I, it is very important. Like I've seen these names that come up again. They're involved with that. They could stay involved. They're just, so could you explain Phil? Like, uh, like I'm a, like I'm a five-year-old. What was Watergate? <laughs> what, what, like what happened? What I, I, cause I literally, I just know there's plumbers. I don't even know where they went. I don't know why it's named Watergate. So please. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the Watergate was an apartment complex but also like there was hotel like hotel too it was hotel and apartment complex where some of the most well-to-do affluent people lived in dc um john mitchell the attorney general his wife martha who had quite the big mouth um julie roberts just played her in a star show gaslit about her life she was uh living there but more importantly the democratic national committee was headquartered there in 1972. Okay. Um, in terms of who gave the order to burgle, you know, uh, not even burgle, but to bug the Democratic National Committee, that's never been definitively stated. Who gave the order to do it? Okay. 50 years later, we don't we don't know. Um, the Plumbers were actually formed in 1971. And they were, um, it started with, there was two things. There were leaks coming out about the bombings in Vietnam, like certain strategy in Vietnam. Uh, Nixon with Kissinger had already ordered the wiretapping of certain aides uh, with the National Security Council who were suspected of leaking. Okay. And so that was one part. Then you have the release of the Pentagon Papers. Now, the Pentagon Papers shouldn't have affected Nixon at all because it had yeah. nothing to do with him. Right. Um, Robert McNamara, the Secretary of Defense, up until I think it was about 67, like Johnson's last full year or so, uh, on his way out, had commissioned a study on the war. Going all the way, like our involvement, going all the way back, I think, to Truman. So when we first started throwing money at the at Vietnam in one form or another. And Daniel Ellsberg worked for, I believe it was the Rand, uh, the Rand Corporation. Lovely organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because Ellsberg was a hawk at one point. He was a person who thought that Vietnam, you know, we needed to be there, this and that, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, you know, but he felt his conscience was getting the better of him. And he leaked the study first to the New York Times. Um, Justice Department got an injunction. And then eventually to the Post. I think it went to like three or four different newspapers, even though the Washington Post tries to make itself seem like they're the hero in the story. You just have that whole Tom Hanks, uh, Meryl Streep movie that came out a few years ago. Oh, yes. I remember that movie. Uh yeah, Washington Post, which would later on cover for the CIA and the Gary Webb thing and tear him apart. Um, but no one really had an issue with it in Nixon's administration, with one exception, Henry Kissinger. Kissinger took it as a personal affront because Ellsberg was one of his students. Ah. Yeah, so there was a past association. Henry Kissinger... Oh, my God. I mean, considering all the stuff I've learned about him later, I said back then, Nixon would have been better to fire him because Kissinger was just a whiny piece of garbage. Like, all he ever did was complain, you know? Like, he was like, I'm, I'm threatening to quit. I'm threatening to quit. Um, Bob Haldeman, H.R. Haldeman, who was Nixon's chief of staff, is like, one day, Henry, we're going to take you up on it. Like, if you're going to keep threatening to resign, one day you got to go through with it. Yeah, um, yeah. And he starts complaining because I think the first revelations came out after one of Nixon's daughters got married. It was like the day after is these revelations. And Nixon's like, I don't really understand what the problem is. And yeah. But Kissinger kind of gets his dander up about it and says, you know, this is a leak. This is, a, this is an attack on the government. So the injunctions only work so far. And then eventually, you know, I think the Supreme Court ruled in the newspaper's favor that they could publish it. Um, there is a possible connection to Nixon, but it's only surfaced more recently. Mm. And that goes back to the waning days of Johnson's administration when Nixon was running against uh, Johnson's VP, Hubert Humphrey. And if Nixon interfered to keep Vietnam going mm. back in 68, that was that was one of the original October surprises. To kind of and, to like split the vote. Is that what you mean? No, so Nixon had heard. So Nixon, I think, was kept in the loop on certain intelligence. Okay. And as you, as a presidential candidate, you're not supposed to be blindsided. And so what happened was Johnson was going to all uh, order a halt on bombing Vietnam about a week or so before the '68 election in a bid to bring North and South Vietnam back to negotiating table. Ah. Uh, and which might have swung the election right, to Hubert right. Humphrey, who was kind of, I mean, don't get me wrong, Hubert Humphrey was a great civil rights sort of person, but he was very much weakened as LBJ's running mate. He was, I mean, uh, as his VP, he was Got pretty it. much considered yeah. guilt by association sort of thing. Johnson didn't think much of him. I mean, and then again, Johnson was a psychopath. So, you know, take that for what you will. Um, but you need to measure up to a man like that. Um <laughs> If you ever get a chance, if you've seen uh, All the Way with Brian Cranston playing LBJ, really good. I'm going to check that out. All that was like, a, uh, he did it on Broadway and then it was an HBO movie. Awesome. Really good. Um, but so anyway, Nixon was close with a woman named Anna Chenault. Anna Chenault was heavily anti-communist. She was married to Claire Chenault, who founded the Flying Tigers, which was like one of our... It's like a almost kind of like a proprietary airline. I think later on would become like Air America. So which okay. was yeah, which was the CIA's 
Oh, yes. They're drug stuff. running flames. Yes. Got it. Okay. So, got it. Yeah. Anna Chenault, who I believe her nickname was the Dragon Lady, which oh, got to love a good nickname. Um, she was kind of like the intermediary with the Vietnamese, with the South Vietnamese, and might have told them you'd get a better deal with Nixon. It's been hinted at. It's been more than hinted at in certain things. And I'll give you a quick little connection once again to Gary Webb later on. The guy, one of the journalists who uh, reported on this years later was a guy named Robert Parry. And Robert Parry worked for, uh, he founded consortiumnews.com. And he reported on the Contras and the drug angle back in the 80s. Okay. And he also reported on the original, the 1980 October surprise. And wow. they totally censored it. I mean, he... Uh, he took a hit for it, even though he's like, I can tell you right now, he's like, I have the evidence. I have the proof. He, I mean, like I said, great writer. He also covers certain aspects of Watergate years after the fact. Interesting. So, but yes, a possible reason for the Pentagon Papers, you know, wanting to shut those down and also a possible motive for Watergate. Some have uh, speculated in terms of that, whatever the DNC had in terms of uh, opposition research. Not as good as the steel dossier, but we'll go. <laughs> That's going to be in history books one day. Yeah. The steel dossier. <laughs> steel dossier. Right next to Deep Throat, the steel dossier. You have anything to add yet, Odd Man? Um, it might be too soon. I, I've always been curious about Nixon. You know, he's kind of um, he's kind of a legend in the fact that he wasn't around that long, but his name is going to live on forever. And, uh, you know, I've watched a few interviews with him after, of course, after he was president. And there was one where he was talking about how um, he really wasn't part of the Washington crowd. Uh, he talked about the Georgetown elite and how, you know, he would be, he would kind of be forced to go to some of these events and dinners and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not saying he was a good guy, but I, it just, was he kind of like, um, considered an outsider even in republican circles or was it just the, the same old left right kind of uh it's true that some things change as we get older but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia brain fog moodiness and weight gain you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging and with midi health you can get help and stop pushing through it alone the experts at midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. 
Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Uh, fighting like normal. No, that's, that's, that's an excellent, excellent question. And to be honest, yeah, I think Nixon fought the Eastern establishment all his life. I think it was something he wanted. Um, he had applied when I think when he was of college age to not even of college age, I think when he was going for law school and he wanted to go into the Eastern, you know, like I think he tried applying to the Ivy leagues and he wound up going to Duke and that's nothing wrong with Duke, but it wasn't what he wanted. Mm. And he always felt he was dealing with, you know, the, he was like not well to do. The Nixon family was not poor, but never like Kennedy rich or Rockefeller. And there was a split there too. Like the Rockefeller wing of the Republicans was more moderate than what Nixon would have been part of. You know, there was definitely, definitely different aspects. Um, Nixon, I think, yeah, always really wondered where he kind of fit into everything. And I think there was some lingering resentment, you know, towards the Eastern establishment and pretty much everything um, for never accepting him and, you know, letting him, letting them in. And maybe they just, you know, tolerated him, if anything else. Um, You know, Nixon, his, even when he won, you know, as not even as president, but when he ran as uh, for Congress back in, I think it was his first race was 46. Him and him and John F. Kennedy were both elected the same year. First time in Congress and both veterans. Um, Nixon was on, I think uh, Nixon was Navy. I don't know if he saw much action as opposed to JFK, but they both were Navy. Uh, Nixon was actually approached to run by a guy named uh, Jerry Voorhis, who was the Democratic candidate and some well-to-do people and bankers funded Nixon's run. And a couple of books I've heard have speculated, I believe, Arrogance of Power, Anthony Summers, who's a definitely an interesting author, written the JFK, Marilyn Monroe books, and uh, huh. Nixon uh, also wrote a, a Hoover book. He was the first person to mention that Hoover might have been a crossdresser. I got to get that one. All right. I'm look, we'll get Anthony Summers. I'm looking him up next. Official and Confidential is the name of the, of the uh, Hoover one he wrote. Um, they said that... Um, uh, Summers and a couple other authors mentioned that in 46, when Nixon ran, there was maybe even some infusion of mob money. I heard Mickey Cohen and, you know, some uh, some other types from out, you know, the Jack Dragon mob out in uh, L.A. had contributed. Like, I think one one um, one fundraiser ended with the doors being shut and locked, saying we don't leave until the, the right amount has been raised. Damn, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there was that. So yeah, Nixon beat Voorhis and I heard there was dirty tricks in relation to that, like phone calls questioning Voorhis's, um, patriotism, whether he was a socialist and, that, um, cause that's weird, right? Cause that's, so that's when we were talking about the devil's chessboard, Voorhees was his, weren't they, they were competitors. So he, but he yeah. encouraged Dix, Nixon to Dixon, he encouraged Nixon to run. 
no, um, no, Voorhees didn't. There was uh, bankers. There was like well-to-do West Coast people who I think okay. were done with Voorhees because probably, you know, sometimes the liberals get the reputations for being anti-capitalist, which yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Depends. Okay. They seem All to be okay with taking money. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, so he wins that first race, and then the next race that he wins makes him even more hated. He uh, <laughs> a woman named uh, Helen Helen Gahagan Douglas, who he dubs the Pink Lady. <laughs> he says that she's pink all the way down to her underwear. In terms I remember of that, okay, yeah, communist. Yeah. I mean, and I, I've read a bio of her. Not a bad woman, you know, but she hated she hated Nixon, you know, because what he did was down and dirty and. Um, this may have been the start of the fundraising phone calls where people would call and just start denigrating the opponent, you know, and why not vote Nixon, you know? Um, and you put in that his reputation with the Alger Hiss case, which was, mm. you know, exposing uh, Hiss as a alleged communist spy and Hiss was uh, State Department and I believe was a friend of Eleanor Roosevelt. So he was like really juiced in and... Yeah. He might have been involved in, I think Hiss was involved in the construction of the UN, like making the UN. Wow. Yeah. So there there was there was a lot of people who hated Is Nixon. Is Hiss a homosexual or no? Uh Hiss was, I believe, because okay. there was the whole thing with uh his might have yes. been a lover, Whitaker Chambers, the guy right. who accused Hiss. Yes. Um, but yeah, there was whole, you know. Dicey in terms of the evidence. I think they said something about Nixon finding it in a pumpkin patch or something weird. I'm like, you know, even, even as I get older, I'm like, that doesn't sound right. But whatever. <laughs> believe, believe the lie. Whatever works. Um, right. But so Nixon, based on his anti-communist reputation, becomes the perfect person to be Eisenhower's running mate in 52. Even though the Checkers scandal, which involved fundraising and whether Nixon had a slush fund that he was using for personal purposes almost takes him down even before he gets to run. Wow. And, you know, Nixon appeals to the TV, you know, to the, to the, to the world on TV and makes a speech and says, the only thing I've gotten, you know, that I'm keeping is this dog, this Cocker Spaniel named Checkers for my daughter, uh, uh, Julie and Julie and Trisha were his daughters. And he's like, we're not giving that back. And, People were so moved by it, even though other people were flat out disgusted. Yeah. I think it overwhelmed. And they were like, they said to Eisenhower, I'm like, you got to keep them, you know? And <laughs> and then it just became eight years of Nixon kind of just second in command to a man who was not the healthiest. Eisenhower had two heart attacks and a stroke, I think, during the time he was uh, president. And people still didn't want it to be Nixon, you know, at the time, you know, fierce anti-communist and. But um, so going back before. So, yeah. Yeah. In terms of yeah, the, the plumbers, <laughs> the plumbers are formed. And there's it starts with two guys. One is a guy named David Young. David Young is connected to Kissinger. The other guy is a guy named Eagle Crow. Eagle Crow was a campaign like was a staffer for Nixon's campaign in 68. They even create their own little cute office in like the one of the basements, I think, in. Um, if not the executive office, maybe even in the Oval Office, where it says plumbers. You know, they plug leaks. Okay. And they don't really do much in the first few months until they bring on G. Gordon Liddy, 
and Howard Hunt. Now, G. Gordon Liddy was, we'll say a patriot, but a little bit nuts. Um, very gung-ho in his mission. He was a former FBI agent. He was, I believe, a DA or an assistant DA in upstate New York who led a raid on Timothy Leary's, uh, a place that either Timothy Leary was staying or Timothy Leary's place. But I know it was a raid. Wow. Yeah. And um, Liddy was very much into the law and order uh, philosophy that the Nixon campaign had won with. And he, he was all in. He was all in with doing what they needed to do. Howard Hunt had spent two decades in the employ of the CIA. And he had been all over the place in his, in his term. Um, one of which was he was in Cuba. He had worked with the anti-Castro Cubans. They had called him Eduardo. That's how they knew him. At. Yeah. Um, which I do not believe is anywhere in his name. I think his name was Everett Howard Hunt. I don't remember Eduardo ever being in there. Um, but Hunt had worked, yeah, two decades. He was also a prolific uh, spy fiction writer while he was with the CIA and after. He retires and goes to work for a PR company called the Mullen Company, which is politically connected. And then at some point, he's brought on by Charles Colson, who's Nixon's lawyer, to work in the White House. Like he's special advisor to Charles Colson. And Charles Colson, before he became a born again, um, was as dirty as they come. I mean, he was basically, Nixon always says, Nixon said you had to find your, your son of a bitch. You had to find like your, per and Charles Colson was that, or Bob Haldeman, but definitely Colson, because Colson was kind of like a bulldog. And Colson engineered, helped engineer the Jimmy Hoffa pardon. Huh. Where Jimmy Hoffa was supposed to do 13 years in jail for jury tampering and, yeah. you know, embezzlement. And he, they got him out in four with money, a uh, um, campaign contribution between the Teamsters and the Nixon campaign. And under the clause that um, Hoffa couldn't run for union office for another nine years. Okay. So long run, that pardon leads to later on Hoffa's murder. Because wow. Hoffa didn't want to take that line down and eventually tried to run. I see. He wanted to run for. Oh, God. Yeah. He was, he was going to kick the mob out. He was, he was threatening to basically undo everything. And yeah. yeah, that was only a year after Nixon resigned was Hoffa's disappearance. Interesting, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I know nothing about that either. That's so, fascinating. Oh, God. I mean, geez. So, so many rabbit holes with Hoffa's thing. Yeah. Too. But, um, yeah. So the plumbers, the first real mission they um, undertake is breaking into Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office. They find out, you know, Ellsberg sees a shrink. What could he be telling him? And mm -hmm. the doctor's office, the guy's name was uh, Lewis Fielding. He was out, I believe, in Beverly Hills. And Hunt decides to, Hunt and Lydia are going to go but they decide to get a little help. So Hunt goes down to Miami and he recruits, I think he gets at least one Cuban, maybe two of the Cubans, one of whom will not be involved in Watergate. And then I believe another one is. So they go out to the office out in LA, case it, you know, kind of do a little surveillance. They break in, make a mess, throw some drugs, all you know, like to kind of make a mess to make it look like it's a burglary. Okay. 
and they get nothing except incriminating evidence that eventually they were there. And Hunt asked for disguises from the CIA. So that's how you bring the CIA into the beginning of this. If Hunt ever left the CIA while he was working for Nixon's office, that's the other right. thing. Right. So, so you have that. Then you have that as the 72 campaign is starting. Nixon beat Humphrey only by so much. Like he thought he was going to lose that night. He went to sleep, even though he was ahead. And he's like, I'm going to lose. You know, like he thought he was going to get screwed like he did in 60. And, you know, when the dead rose from the grave to vote, you know, for Kennedy and everything. And I mean, there was definitely fishy stuff in that election. That's a given. But he doesn't want to basically get the wool pulled over his eyes. So he doesn't know who he's going to face, though, in 72. He's thinking Teddy Kennedy, even though Teddy Kennedy is still smarting from Chappaquiddick, which was only a few years before. Well, you got to make sure the date comes home. You know, um, you know I don't know. I mean, he he might have gotten framed for that. I don't know. I said Chappaquiddick is still, it's dicey. And 53 years later, no one knows. And it was, yeah. right, it was right around the time of Apollo 11. So people didn't question it, I think. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you, I've, I've, just so you can judge, have you ever uh, looked into Ted Kennedy at all or, or not really? Not very much. Of course, I remember the incident that he's talking about where he drowned that poor girl and went home and went to sleep. Yep. <laughs> uh, just, a, just a horrible, horrible thing to do. I mean, yeah. what can you say? I mean, I think, and I think I just, he like, even the car was like in the water. He gets out and he like watches the car as she's in there. Like, <laughs> And he's like, well, it's too late now. Yeah, Sorry. ain't nothing I can do. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm already wet. Why would I want to go back in and catch a cold? Yeah, it's. <laughs> oh I, I got God. nothing on that. That's I mean, hilarious. that's a tough, that's a tough sell, no matter how you, you yeah. try to explain it. So, it um, the dirty tricks are already starting in '72. So you have it winds up being McGovern is the winds up being Nixon's uh, uh, opponent. But at one point, it looks like it could be uh, Edmund Muskie, who I believe is a uh, senator from, I want to say, one of the New England states. And But there was tricks pulled on Muskie. Like they did, they, someone sent a letter. They called it the Canuck letter. And it had something to do with where he like derogatorily referred to Canadians as Canucks, which I'm like, then why is the Vancouver hockey team yeah. called the Canucks? That I've never understood. But he kind of has a breakdown. He's out. It winds up being McGovern. McGovern is the peace candidate. That's all they really have. You know, he's not really running on anything else other than he's going to end Vietnam. The other candidate is George Wallace. George Wallace, the segregationist. From- okay, I was going to say, isn't he like a, a wasn't he like a, a, a little bit of a racist? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, by, I mean, from some of the stuff I've read, almost kind of by just because it worked well for him. You know, like he wasn't at first, and then he realized if I can oppose integration, I'll get more votes. And then he turned it that way. But you never know. I mean, what's the fine line between being an opportunist and just being an out and out bigot? It's a fine line. Isn't that Um, crazy, though? Dude, like that, like, I mean, even then, and I know it's not that long ago, but these pot, they'll just bend their. They're, they'll change any question they're they're trying to answer it with most ambiguity without taking a stance as po- it's just insane dude but sorry. yeah well I mean some of the people who'll be involved in Nixon's impeachment who were heroes Sam Irvin who led the um the Senate uh, committee was a racist 
he was against Thurgood Marshall's um, appointment to the Supreme Court. Interesting. And I said, wow. I'm like, there you go. And I said, there's your hero. <laughs> I said, that's why there are no heroes in politics. Right. There really aren't. Yeah. Um, so it winds up being McGovern. Yet there is Wallace. Then Wallace gets shot and um, by a guy who uh, named Arthur Bremer, who Nixon once looked into, wants to find out. I think they actually might have even done a covert entry into Bremer's apartment after the fact to look in to see what he knew. Um, but they're focused on opposition research, plugging the leaks. The plumbers are kind of utilized at this point. G. Gordon Liddy, or so the popular story goes, from John Dean and a couple other people, is asked to come up with a plan to help beat the Democrats, like by kind of like sabotage. Okay. And so G. Gordon Liddy's, you know, forest before the trees type of guy, you know, he's, he's, he's committed to his cause, brings a plan to John Dean, a guy named Jeb Magruder, who's a creep, uh, the committee to reelect the president person, because that's where this money's coming from to fund these things. And also like a white house staffer and John Mitchell, the attorney general, uh, Nixon's former law partner, and eventually the head of the committee to reelect the president. And Liddy calls this plan Operation Gemstone. And it involves basically sabotaging the Democratic National Convention, which winds up being in the same city as the Republican National Convention, which is still weird, by sending prostitutes, you know, down there. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Drugging people, if need be. And, you know, just pretty much anything under the sun without killing people. And I think even that at first was a fine line. And I think Liddy told them he'd need two million for it. And John Mitchell just sits back, smokes his pipe and just not nonplussed about it. Kind of like, no. Yeah. So later on, you know, Liddy kind of leaves and then he comes up with a smaller version of his plan. And the person who's giving him feedback is John Dean. And John Dean, in terms of most Watergate stories, doesn't figure in until 73. Not 72, but here he is. And he basically says that John Mitchell loves the way Liddy's mind works. Just think smaller. You got to think smaller. (laughs) But again, the first break-in at the Watergate doesn't happen until May 1972. Also, what happens in May 1972 is J. Edgar Hoover dies. He dies at the beginning of the month. They find him in his bedroom, nude. In draft. No, they found him like his, his... one of his African-American agents, his butler, because that's how he, he hired uh, black agents back in the day. He put him to work for him, uh, found him practically completely nude. And later on, there'd be some allegations that Hoover, some people thought he was murdered. And, no way. And one of the recordings, uh, so the, the taping system had already been installed in the White House for Nixon in 71, they overheard when uh, Nixon was told about Hoover said that old that old sea suckers finally dead, huh? You know, because <laughs> Nixon could never fire him. Right. Nixon and Hoover went back to the McCarthy days before then, and Nixon Nixon I think feared two men: J. Edgar Hoover, Richard Helms, hmm. and hmm. you know FBI and CIA. You know, yeah. and 
So the first break-in or first attempt to break into the Watergate happens that month. Doesn't go as planned. Uh, the story goes that Hunt and one of the Cubans, so I'll give you who the Cubans are at this point. You have Bernard Barker, who uh, has been named in involvement in JFK's assassination, one of the uh, anti-Castro Cubans. A guy named Virgilio Gonzalez, Eugenio Martinez, a non-Cuban we have in Frank Sturgis, even though he fought with Castro at a point. Okay. Yeah. And um, we'll bring Jim McCord in later because McCord's one of the bigger ones. So with um, the first attempt doesn't go well. They make a second attempt, I think also in May, early June. They put a bug in on, the, on one of the phones. They have a guy across the street who's ex-FBI at a Howard Johnson's. His name is Alfred Baldwin. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. He's listening to the calls. He's listening, but he's not taping them in addition. Like they, they're, he's listening to the bug, but they're not taping anything. Okay. And he's just transcribing this crap. And he's giving it to Liddy to give the, to Dean. Like, just look at, and they're not getting anything off these. Yeah. It's like worthless. Like whatever they're getting, they're like, yeah, you got some of these guys are making dates. Like they're, <laughs> they're making plans for the weekend. Like what the hell is this? So, and that's going to bring up a different angle to this as well. So they go in again, June, late June 16th, 1972. This time it's the four Cubans. I mean, sorry, it's the three Cubans. It's Sturgis and a guy named James McCord. James McCord is former CIA. He worked in the Office of Security. The Office of Security is basically the CIA's internal affairs. Okay. 
James McCord in that position was called in 1953 to deal with a alleged suicide where a certain scientist was thrown out, well, jumped out of a uh, window a few days after he was dosed with LSD. So now oh, we can okay. yes. Jim McCord to the Frank Olson case. Right, Frank Olson. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I so the wa oh, guy involved with Watergate was involved with Frank Olson's yep. suicide. Ah, the the, okay. uh, the cleanup operation. Yeah. What are the odds of that? I'm sure yep. very slim. Very. Yeah. Very slim. And then, so they go in. They want to be able to get in and out in certain areas. So at one point, one of the doors that I guess had an issue where it would lock on them. McCord puts a piece of tape on the, um, the, 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 the clasp. I mean, the, yeah, the, yeah, the locking the door mechanism. mechanism or whatever. Yeah. Got it. So they go, they go to the floor where the, um, the DNC is. One of the security guards just doing his job, a guy named Frank Wills comes, sees the piece of tape. Th thinks for a second, just takes the piece of tape off, you know, whatever. Yeah. The guys come back and see tape's gone. McCord tapes it again. He doesn't think maybe we should just, you know, not do this. Right. You know, maybe he puts the tape on again. And it's just frustrating. Just think about him. He puts the tape on again, like completely <laughs> antithetical to any sort of spy craft. Wills finds the tape, calls it in. Because now it's like, all right, something's going on. Yeah. So here's the next little wrinkle in the story. So the, the cops who get the call are kind of just right in the area. And one of the key cops, a guy named Carl Schaffler, he was off duty. Like he should have been home. It was his yeah. birthday. So, and he just perchance happens to be there. Him and like three other guys. I think they were all plain clothes that day. Mm -hmm. They make the bust on these guys. They catch them all in the room. All these guys are dressed to the nines and suits and everything. They have, I think it was like, couple thousand dollars in sequential bills. Like the, the big bills were in sequential numbers. Oh, I, that's how I get all of my bills. So yeah, right. That's fine. So yeah, it's, I mean, if you ever see all the president's men, that scene enough is just perfect. It's a great scene just between them getting caught and just kind of like when the cops catch it, like just, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, how true it is in the long run is, is open to speculation, but the next day, the news starts to break. Bob Woodward, who's working at the Post, very lowly position at that point, uh, finds out about the, the break-in. He, he goes to the arraignment, and he hears Jim McCord say retired security. Okay, can you be more specific? Uh, where are you retired from? CIA. And like in all the president's men, Robert Redford is Woodward's like, oh, shit. You know, like... <laughs> One of those moments was like, yeah. oh, there's CIA involvement. They're all CIA. They're right. all CIA connected. Right. Um, so as this is going on, Howard Hunt starts doing damage control. He goes to his house, which wasn't even really that close to where he was, wakes his son, St. John, who's written two books about uh, his dad in the case, wakes him up and asks him to help destroy evidence. Uh, G. Gordon Liddy freaks out and starts making calls to people at Creep to say, uh, we got a problem. Nixon's in Key Biscayne at one of his houses, one of his uh, places. And for the most part, there's not much of a reaction in the first few days. Huh. But by, got to go like the 19th, 
a couple days later, when they get back is when it starts becoming, are we trying to cover up? What's our, what's our exposure? Yeah. And right. when someone says Howard Hunt, then it's like, shit. Um, Nixon said something like, yeah, yeah, with Howard Hunt, there's, you know, that's a name that can open up a lot of things, you know? Wow. So they were like, yeah, wow. do you know Hunt? And, you know, there's, there's connections there. Um, the cover up is, I mean, not good. I mean, in terms of a cover up, <laughs> you know, uh, they approach, oh they, so Nixon and Haldeman are on tape talking. Nixon and Haldeman, by the way, are two of the only guys who know about the taping system. Everybody else finds out when the media finds out. Ah. Nixon knew, Haldeman knew, a guy named Alexander Butter, Butterfield, who is the one who reveals it on television, um, and a couple other people. That's it. Nobody else knew about the taping system, which was installed for about two years. And so the question becomes, what are we going to do about this operation? And at one point they talk about they find out that one of the burglars got paid from a check that had been given to the committee to reelect. And I think it was cat, like there was a Mexican connection and Nixon asks, I think it was Alderman and uh, John Ehrlichman, who was his chief domestic advisor to approach the CIA, uh, the FBI and say, it's a CIA operation, stay out of it. And, have want either Haldeman or Ehrlichman approach Richard Helms at the CIA and basically say, can you maybe make the approach, you know, yeah. and just say, you know, open up the Bay of Pigs and, you know, blah, 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 which Haldeman never understood what that meant. Like, what are you talking about with the Bay of Pigs? Haldeman later on in one of his autobiographies, even though he would deny it later, said that when he said Bay of Pigs, he meant JFK's assassination. So there, there's there's weirdness there and yeah. you know faulty memories and plausible deniability and weirdness, you know, what do they call it? High strangeness. Yeah, uh, right. So they make the approach and Helms, the best way I could describe it is apoplexy. He says, you know, this uh Bay of Pigs has got nothing to do with this. Like he flips out. Hilarious. And Ehrlichman's like, yeah, we're not gonna get it from him. You know, we're not, I mean. Eventually, they reach they reach out to the FBI on their own. And remember, the FBI is in transition period. They don't even have a full-time director. I mean, right. Hoover's dead. Nixon wants to put in someone that he can trust. Yes, right. He, he right. brings in a guy named Pat Gray, who unfortunately winds up becoming a sacrificial lamb down the road. And meanwhile, you have people like Mark Felt, who felt he should have been the next FBI mm -hmm. director. Mm -hmm getting short shrift and he starts leaking like a sieve. He starts leaking information <laughs> left and right. That's why like anyone who portrays him as being the noble deep throat is full of, full of it. I said, no, he wanted the job. He didn't get it. Um, Hoover, you know, never had a succession plan in place. Not that they probably would have honored it anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, he felt he'd already been betrayed quote unquote by three Judases, which is kind of scary when he figured himself like a Christ figure. Um, the last one he locked out of his own office, there was a guy, Bill, uh, William Sullivan, uh, crazy Bill Sullivan, who wanted to work with Nixon and he'd been leaking stuff about Hoover. Hoover fired him while he was on vacation, locked him out of his office. And a handful of years later, Sullivan, who was part of COINTELPRO would get killed in a hunting accident at 5am taken for a deer.
Um, and he also wrote the letter to uh, Martin Luther King about the only way out of suicide. Damn, dude. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Sol Sullivan was nuts too. But, you know, at the time you're like, well, what's the lesser of two evils? It would have been just not hiring anyone who had any connection to the FBI whatsoever. Um, now, in, so one thing is Felt starts reaching out to Woodward, or so we're told in the story. However, we know he's not noble because he, he, wants, he wants the director job. He's been responsible for doing his own black bag jobs at, in his position at the FBI, which eventually he is indicted for. Um, and Nixon, I think, actually testifies on his behalf. Wow. And Nixon and Haldeman knew Felt was a leaker. But they didn't fire him, which is always kind of interesting in and of itself. Um, maybe thinking maybe they'd have one over on him. You know, that's kind yeah. of a tough, a tough sell. So as the days start to pass, you know, Woodward and Bernstein unearthed uh, certain information about connections between Hunt and Liddy to, you know, uh, not just Watergate, but, you know, people higher up in the White House. Um, and, you know, talk of the committee to reelect funds being used as, once again, a slush fund. You have, you know, denials, consistent denials from the White House of any involvement. You have their press secretary. Now, we have our current press secretary, who is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> the and, one right now? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's, she's wonderful. Yeah. Um, they had a guy named Ron Ziegler. Ron Ziegler, this poor, poor SOB. He was a tour guide, I think, at Disney or Universal Studios before he became press secretary. Okay. So, like, in the end, it's kind of like, that's, I'd say that's a step up, but it's almost Absolutely. like, this is your attraction right here, you know, like, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you a mile of bullshit, and you're just going to be like, all right, what's next? Where do we go? He had to say towards the end that every statement the White House has given about, white, uh, about Watergate up to this point is an operative. That was like from the first, you know, like, yeah. I mean, you <laughs> had to apologize to Woodward and Bernstein because Nixon threw him under the bus. I mean, there was a lot there where just like, you know, I, I know there's certain things, plausible deniability, but I'm like, you're going out there and you are the spokesperson for the White House. Right. And you can't even run damage control because you don't even know what the hell's going on, you know, and everyone's trying to save themselves. But meanwhile, there's such there's darker undercurrents to Watergate from the beginning. One of which is not just the Watergate, but an apartment complex that's adjacent to the Watergate. And that's the Columbia Plaza Apartments. And uh, Jim Hogan's book, Secret Agenda, and Len Kolodny and Robert Getlin's Silent Coup talk about a prostitution ring that was being run at the Columbia Plaza apartments and whether one of the bugs placed on the phone, there was a, a bug placed on a guy named Spencer Oliver, his phone. And even though he wasn't really there, his secretary, this woman named uh, Maxie Wells used the phone and that other staffers used the phone to arrange dates and that there was a prostitution ring. And that's what they were hoping to overhear. And the madam of this ring, a woman named Heidi Riken, was good friends with Maureen Dean, John Dean's wife. 
And now John Dean wasn't married to Maureen yet, but during Watergate, he goes and gets quickly married to Maureen. Like a mad dash marriage. Yeah. And Dean is integral, integrally involved in the investigation from almost the beginning, even though later on he's just known for there's a cancer on the presidency and, you know, like that's his big, his big yeah. moment. And, you know, he wasn't going to be held, you know, uh, held, you know, thrown under the bus and, and uh, by writing a report exonerating everybody, but, you know, screwing himself at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, he has a role in that. So there's that and whether this uh, prostitution ring figures into an intelligence aspect that they don't want to talk about. Right. The general like story is, yeah, like, yeah, like, we, well, one of the other people who was involved, a guy named Philip Bailey, who was a lawyer who was involved in the ring, gets arrested and then gets basically thrown in a sanitarium. Kind of like what they did to uh, Lawrence E. King with the Franklin scandal. I didn't... Lawrence King got put into a, a mental asylum? They they arrested him and threw him in a mental asylum, uh, well, because it was right before the 88 election. Right. Ugh, and, I mean, do you knew that? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't think he spent more than a few years, a handful, maybe three years or something like that in there. Um, if I'm For the embezzlement? Yeah, he wasn't in there that long. Yeah. Yeah, I knew yeah. the kids served longer than King, but that's hilarious that they had to just get him out of sight, so they just threw him... Dude, now that was a great. They should never gotten rid of those. They could have taken care of so many problems. Just keep throwing people in insane asylums. But yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Hey, you have the right people to cooperate with. You know, you can absolutely. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Um, so you have that. I mean, the widely, the widely accepted explanation was Nixon. The the Democratic national chairman was a guy named uh, Lawrence O'Brien. Lawrence O'Brien was a Kennedy guy. At one point, I believe he worked for John Kennedy, but he was also a, a Bobby Kennedy staffer. Bobby Kennedy gets assassinated and Howard Hughes immediately orders his his second in command, a guy named Bob Mayhew. And Mayhew is a dirty, shifty individual himself with connections to FBI, CIA. He was an intermediary on the Castro assassination attempts, uh, hires all of Kennedy's guys. And by the way, that's if... That's if this was really even truly Howard Hughes in 1968, because we don't even know Hughes hadn't been seen in years. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, he disappeared. I mean, that's that's what's interesting because there was um, I mentioned Operation Gemstone, the thing that Liddy was doing. There's a conspiracy theory called the Gemstone File, which talks about that Howard Hughes was kidnapped by Aristotle Onassis, who eventually married Jackie Kennedy, right, right. and Onassis impersonated Hughes, like in some form, because Mayhew never met Howard Hughes. They communicated by memo and telephone. Amazing. Howard Hughes disappeared from the public, like I think in the uh, late 50s, early 60s. Damn. Yeah. And he dies on a flight from the Bahamas to Houston in 76, weighing like under 100 pounds and looked like a full on like junkie because of all the, the, the infusions and I think the morphine and yeah. He, was, he had his he had his Mormon, the, the Mormon mafia, you know, that was his, his uh, bodyguards. He'd only accept uh, transfusions from Mormon blood. No yeah. way. Well, was he um, a or no? say that again. Was he a Mormon or he just. No, Hughes, Hughes was from Hughes was from Texas. Um, I don't know where that whole Mormon thing started. It was um, his second in command for a long time was a guy named Noah Dietrich. Noah Dietrich wasn't Mormon. 
But at some point, he hires a guy named Bill Gay, who was like his chief, you know, chief of staff, if you will, to a degree. Okay. And at some point, the Mormons took over, even pushed Mayhew out because Nixon, uh, Nixon, uh, Hughes goes on his Vegas casino buying spree in 1960, I think it was 66. And Mayhew, who had kind of helped engineer that, didn't really tell Hughes that he was basically still getting screwed because the mob was still skimming the casinos. And yeah. Hughes leaves pretty much as as mysteriously as he came in four years almost to the day and fires Mayhew by like memo. Yeah, he's like, yeah, that son of a bitch was robbing me blind and, you know, this and that. And I, I'm telling you, the Howard Hughes movie they should have made, like the, the, the DiCaprio movie was pretty good. Yeah. It was the later, later years Howard Hughes. Interesting, dude. They wanted to do one, I think, with Jim Carrey. It was another project, and it was going to be the later years Howard Hughes. I said that would have been the good one when he's writing memos because they were doing atomic bomb testing in Vegas, and he was panicked. He didn't like the noise. It scared him. So he wrote... He wrote memos to Nixon, to LBJ, please move the tests. I'm like, I'm frightened, you know, because there was a burglary on Hughes's uh, headquarters and someone got away with all of his correspondence. Damn. That happened after Watergate, too, because later on, people had questions about that. Hughes figures into things because Hughes in uh, a loan that Hughes had given to Nixon's brother, Donald, helped screw Nixon in 60. It was a $205,000 loan for uh, Donald Nixon's Nixon Burger franchise. <laughs> and they saw it like this. Yeah. Like a influence peddling, which is what Hughes did. You, you know, he liked having that. He liked having a, a harem of women and he liked having a stable of influence. Dude. I mean, did you, I didn't know if you had anything to add. I know about the Mormons or, or Howard Hughes. No, I honestly don't know much about that, but I think okay. it's fascinating, though. Yeah, I just saw you unmute, so I didn't. And I know you did a lot of Mormon work, but so Howard Hughes is the guy that like he would only drink like chocolate milk or whatever, like something by the and he like bought a building because their lights were too bright, right? Uh, he wound up buying the Desert Inn, the casino. That was his first casino he bought because they didn't have first. It had to do with the type of ice cream he wanted. Okay, like, I think it was like a peanut butter ice cream or something. And then he had the top floor. The Desert Inn was owned by a mob guy named Mo Dalitz, who went legitimate and allegedly. Yeah. And Mayhew, in an offhanded comment, when they were going to kick him out because he took up the top floor, but he wasn't gambling and he wasn't doing anything. He's like, why don't you just buy it? And he did. He took his money that he got from divesting from TWA. I think it was $547 million and goes and buys four or five casinos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he just spent, spent, spent. But meanwhile, the mob guys never left. They said the guys, the mob guys who were there the day before he got there were there the day he, day he left. Wow. They never went anywhere. Wow. You know? But they want, they, speaking of illusion, they always wanted to make it seem Howard Hughes cleaned up Las Vegas. It's like, well, no, because how do you explain the movie Casino? Yeah. Like, that wasn't that long after, you know? So, um, so back to with Watergate. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. You know, I had listened to... So uh, the co-author of Silent Coup, Robert Gettlin, was on uh, St. Patrick's Midnight Rider News Show, and the questions of Watergate plagued a lot of people who did time for it. You know, involvement or process crimes. John Ehrlichman spent the rest of his life trying to figure out who gave the order to go into the Watergate. I said yeah. that's scary, you know, because you're like, and Nixon didn't know because I think Nixon. You know, was just like, you know what? Hey, he knew he did. He did stuff. Um, but it was an administration at war with itself in certain aspects. I mean, uh, I read this book probably the first time I tried reading it was like high school, but I wasn't there yet. Yeah. And I read it a handful of years later. And one of the first things I had ever heard about was the fact that the Joint Chiefs of Staff was spying on Nixon. And that came out a year before Watergate. But they kept it quiet. Like, once again, it was one of those things. I'm like, why did he keep it quiet? Yeah. So there was a uh, a Navy a yeoman uh, named Charles Radford. And he was doing it at the behest of Admiral Moore, who was like one of the heads of the Joint Chiefs, Thomas Moore, stealing burn bags, like the correspondence that's supposed to be burnt between yeah. Nixon and Kissinger, and was stealing it. And they were... Taken, they were basically spying on Nixon and Kissinger's approach to Russia and China, the detente approach. Doesn't this? And so I know Nixon, like there is no good president, and just like, but it, this story sounds a lot like Donald Trump's story. Do, do you? Do you? Yeah. Know this is the similarity, right? It's like very similar. A lot of chaos, and in, in yeah. nobody's loyal to anybody else, right. and bringing on people that are screwing you, but you don't fire them; you still keep yeah. them on. Yeah, I, I mean, God, that's crazy. No, I, was, I was just going to say, you know, I was looking through my Mormon notes and uh, I forgot that the Mormons played a huge part in founding Las Vegas. Yeah. Supposedly, I think like 1850, the 1850s, they were the first settlement there. It was Mormons and, and they are invested in the casinos big time. And uh, I read, um, I do remember reading even to this day, there's a lot of Mormons that work in the casinos. Which, Which is kind of crazy. Because, yeah. yeah. That's insane. It's, it's a small world, right? What are they it's doing a, there in 1850? Jesus, it must have <laughs> been hot as hell there. Oh, yeah. 
Makes, makes you wonder what they thought of uh, Benjamin Bugsy Siegel when he came out there with the Flamingo. But uh, yeah, one, yeah, so one of, true. if you get it, The Money and the Power is a great book about Vegas. Okay. Uh, Sa Sally Denton, great, great author. Uh, she wrote about just about the rise and fall. And one of the, in, you, you know, you mentioned with the Mormons and their influence, there was a guy who was a banker out there. I think he ran the Bank of Las Vegas, a guy named Perry Thomas. And outside of the mob and the Teamster money, the pension fund money that was going in, you had to go to the Bank of Las Vegas. Those were like the two preeminent institutions to get money from. But, um, you know, the Mormons are definitely important. I mean, you think about it. Look at look Mitt Romney. You know, I mean, you know, and I, mean, I don't trust Mitt Romney as far as anyone can throw him. But uh, I said, yeah, they, they, they get power and they kind of I think there's a loyalty there that's kind of. Ooh pretty stiff if anything else yeah, i think that's you hit it. it's definitely like that because they're like a small group but they're so loyal to each other it's a force to be right i mean just i mean that's I think if we could all get together on the right or whatever some group we would be a force but because we all just we fall into these little niche groups we fail which is exactly the, the perfect plan yeah. for them yeah um so with so you have the fact that this spying thing is going on with the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So you have that aspect. But again, after 71, it actually comes out like December 71. They actually put the guy Radford, I think, on a polygraph and they find this stuff out. But again, they don't do anything. They don't fire Hoover, despite the fact that they were kind of like, come on, you know, like they wanted to fire him. They never did. Um, Watergate happens. And outside of like the early investigations, the White House kind of tries to steer the investigation with Pat Gray, who's a very pliable FBI director and didn't think he was doing anything wrong. Helms, completely different. Helms won't give in on anything. And, you know, people try to say, well, that's Helms's integrity. I'm like, no, Helms is damage control. And they were already cooperating with Nixon on other things, including the attempt to overthrow the Chilean government. So there was already like, oh, we won't cooperate with you here, but here we're one on this. And which later on would be the thing that uh, Helms would get a perjury uh, citation for. Wow. His knowledge, uh, lying about his knowledge in front of Congress about Chile. So as Watergate goes on, they realize they're going to have to pay, pay the burglars, you know, to keep them quiet and right. happy. Right. Um, it's... A shit show. Um, Hunt, Hunt is, you know, loyal up to a point. His wife, Dorothy, is telling him, you got to make sure you get paid. Like, you got to don't let them leave you lying out like this and everything. Um, December 72, she is met by one of Nixon's people. I don't think they ever say exactly who it is, but clearly not someone who's high up, but someone to give a payout. And Dorothy is on a United flight that crashes uh, in Chicago. The FBI is there almost instantaneously, which is a little suspicious in and of itself. Um, they find the money, you know, so that comes out. Um, Hunt is devastated, as to be expected. Um, you know, at this point, it's getting a little bit crazier. Who's going to hold up? Who's going to start talking? Um January 73, it looks like they're going to take a plea, the burglars. The bur so now you have McCord, Sturgis, Martinez, Barker, Gonzalez, Hunt, 
and Liddy. McCord starts talking. McCord sends a letter to Judge uh, Sarika, who's the judge uh, looking at the case, and basically saying that pressure's being applied. You're not getting the whole story. Sarika, who's a Republican, but is already kind of overreached in this case at one point, he jailed the burglar's first lawyer. He was asking him questions, and the lawyer's like, well, I don't have to answer that. And yeah. technically, he shouldn't. A guy named Doug Caddy, who's still alive, by the way. Um, and he put, he threw Caddy in jail. Damn. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Caddy, Caddy uh, co wrote a book on Watergate. Smart guy, too. Um, wow. But yeah, so Sarika gets this letter and basically says, Yeah, no, I, I think there's more to this. And that kind of like further, like, just when it looked like the White House was going to start to get out of this, mm -hmm. whereas like look, you know, lower level zealous people, it's not looking that way anymore. And the snowball starts to kind of, you know, just get bigger and bigger and bigger and picking up more and more people. Um, by March, you have Dean meeting with Nixon and talking. There's a cancer on the presidency, and we have to pay, you know, these guys. And Nixon's like. Uh, Dean basically tells him they'd need at least a million. And Nixon's like, I know where that could be gotten, you know, which is like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, do you not know there's a, I mean, you know, there's a taping system in there the entire right. time, you know? Um, but then he realizes Dean's making moves to try to get himself out of the situation. And Dean's made a deal. Nixon has to ask for Haldeman and Ehrlichman's resignation because they're, they're involved heavily at this point. And he fires Dean because Dean's a piece of right. garbage right. and pretty much, you know, he's, he's the rat off the sinking ship. Yeah. And, you know, at this point though, everyone, I mean, it hasn't gotten to Nixon, but it's gotten as high up as John Mitchell, you know, so your attorney general who at that right. point he had already retired. Uh, he'd resigned to basically first was to be uh, head of the camp um, creep, the committee to reelect the president and then to spend more time with his wife, Martha, who liked to get drunk and make late night phone calls to the media. And at one point, they had her almost thrown in an institution because because oh, she was talking too much. Uh, I think they called her the, before there was Jimmy Hart of the of the WWE, the mouth of the South. Martha Mitchell was the mouth of the South. Like she was just just completely out of control. And she she felt for her, you know, she feared for her life, or at least that's what she said. Yeah. I don't know if, the, I mean, you know, it depends who you want to believe. I mean, Dorothy Hunt perishing in a plane crash is definitely suspicious. And the fact that someone who had a position at an agency that would have looked in the crash was Eagle Crow, the guy who was the, one of the original uh, plumber founders. Ah, yeah. Great, great. Yeah, a little crazy in and of itself. He, <laughs> he's actually behind the, um, the soon-to-be Justin Theroux, uh, Woody Harrelson, White House Plumbers miniseries that's going to be uh, on HBO, I think, soon. So, yeah, it's a uh, strangeness with that. And I think the cover-up just starts getting out of control. And no one's asking the questions. Like, who – like, again, no one asked who ordered it. Yeah. You know? So we don't, we don't know. Why is McCord so willing to sell out everybody, it seems, to preserve the reputation of the CIA? Mm -hmm. Um at the end of 72, Nixon won in a landslide. I think one of the right. biggest landslides, I think him, Reagan against Mondale, and I think 
FDR against Elf Landon, like three of the biggest landslides ever. Wow. And right. I was going to bring that Nixon up. Nixon like did a couple things. Destroyed. Oh, yeah. McGovern never had a prayer. Well, McGovern had some bad luck. His first running mate, it got revealed, uh, had electroshock treatments. This guy, uh, Tom Eagleton, so he couldn't keep him because they didn't think he was um, he was mentally sound. And, of course, he already had the musky breakdown at one point where they questioned his sanity. And uh, nowadays, though, that would be okay. And um, his uh, second running mate was uh, Sergeant Schreiber, who was connected. He was a Kennedy, Kennedy in-law, but was never close. Um, Nixon won by a landslide. He decides he's going to ask for, demand, the resignation of every cabinet member. He's going to start anew. He wants them all out. Um, even though one of the people he said he would keep, he said, we're going to keep George, George Bush. He's loyal to our cause. Then I came up. Wow. Yeah. Um, he was the only one he kept? Uh, so, I mean, he kept like, you know, Haldeman and Ehrlichman, but a lot okay. of other people he jettisoned. Um, he fired Richard Helms. Now, he asked for, he brings, I think he um, brought Helms to Camp David. And he asked for his resignation. But he said, how about an ambassadorship? And uh, he gives Helms the ambassadorship to Iran which kind of becomes pivotal later on because uh, Helms was there with the last days of the Shah or pretty close yeah, to it. Yeah, because it's a little bit set six years before that. Well, you want to hear one of the interesting things Richard Helms did in his last days. He reaches out to a guy named Sidney Gottlieb. Ah. Yes, you know, with the uh, technical services. Yes. And orders him to destroy all the MK Ultra documents. No way, dude. <laughs> They didn't get all of them, though, because, you know, yes. later on there'd be um, the guy, uh, author John Marks, with his search for the Manchurian candidate. And it's because they kept some of the financial documents. So I yeah. think Gottlieb destroyed as many as he could from his area. But they, you know, bean counters tend to keep some certain things. So, well, I remember I, I think that that was, yeah, the search for the man. That's the book. I just read that. Or did yes. he, and and uh, he brings up how the the. The bean counters, as you call them, they wanted reports. So Gottlieb, he was paying the prostitutes. So I think he would write a check, but because obviously prostitutes aren't going to cash a check, he would write yeah. that that was what the way, the way they used the receipts. They would write a voided check to them. And I forget what they titled it as, but yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's insane. I mean, that, that so many, like I said, interlocking connections. And, you know, I think Helms thought he'd be CIA director until he didn't want to be CIA director anymore. That's what I think. I mean, he was director for six years. I mean, I think Dulles was still the longest at that point, but Helms, I mean, they called him the man who kept the secrets. It was pretty right. apt definition. And then you bring in the guy who succeeds him, uh, James Schlesinger commissions the family jewels report, which is the one about all the wrongdoing of the CIA. And then his oh. successor, Bill Colby is the one who gives it to the Senate. Yeah. And which, you know, always makes me wonder if 20 years later when Colby went out for, uh, you know, left his dinner on the table, his front door <laughs> open, his computer on and went canoeing during a thunderstorm. What you know? was that? Yeah. Ugh. Well, so, well, because I, I know, uh, well, we'll, we'll kind of, you and I, we got to do another one, Phil, because there's so, <laughs> but so what was of all that your research and everything mm -hmm. in Nixon, was he a, uh, a, a guy misunderstood? Was he a, just looking out for himself. What's your opinion on, on Richard Nixon? He wanted to be, he wanted to be remembered probably as the, the greatest peacemaker. 
I, I think he truly thought with what he was doing with the opening to China and, you know, even though it was part of divide and conquer a little bit with Russia and China kind of helped with the Viet Vietnam uh, initiative, I think he wanted to end the war. I think he wanted to get the credit for it. I think he didn't want to be undercut by press leaks, which is what was happening. Yeah. I said that's why he hated people like Jack Anderson, the reporter who was getting all these, you know, leaks out there. And at one point, one of Liddy's plans was to dose Jack Anderson, if not worse than that. Um, I think he wanted to be remembered as probably the greatest modern day president. And maybe if he could have let, you know, I mean, I'm not going to blame him for Watergate, but the stuff around it, you know, like, yeah, he engendered that where it's like, <sighs> should he have been impeached? I think he could have managed to avoid it. I also think he should have destroyed the tapes. Probably would have been a good idea. Um, and not listen to Alexander Haig, who would take over as his chief of staff, because I think Haig, they, you know, uh, Ray Lockers is a great author with a couple of books about Haig and Nixon and everything, that Haig was trying to protect himself in the last days, including the Joint Chiefs of Staff spying thing. And Haig was connected with Bob Woodward. So there's there's stuff there. But I, I think Nixon really wanted to be remembered as a president who ended the wars and kind of brought us into like a modern era and left on a high note. I mean, because you look at, okay, Johnson leaves his office kind of in disgrace. You know, yeah. he has to vow he's never going to, you know, he's not going to run. And Johnson pretty much just went home and died. You know, was dead within four years. Kennedy's assassinated. Eisenhower, I mean a shell of a man towards the end because of, you know, the heart attacks and everything else. Truman, one of the most unpopular presidents by the time he left with the exception of maybe, I think Bush and him were close, uh, W, in terms of approval rating. But yeah, I think he just wanted to be a guy who'd be remembered and then could kind of live off that. And he would have, I mean, because a lot of that stuff happened in that second term. But I think he was never going to get the love that he was hoping for. And... The Watergate hearings, I think part of it was trying to find out the truth. And then it was like, well, if it wasn't convenient enough, we're not going to go after the CIA. We're not going to go after, right. you know, other people who might have been giving me orders as opposed to Nixon, you know, and then they could ignore stuff that Dean left out of his story. Dean, some, some of Dean's story wasn't believed. That's how John Mitchell managed to not get convicted on every trial he was at. Mm. You know, there was people who didn't believe John Dean. And I said, and John Dean still goes out and is like, oh, this is the real story of Watergate. It's like, you're 84, yeah. you know, like I would have hoped you would have figured it out by now. You know, like you're telling the same story differently. You've disavowed one autobiography that was co-written and I got nothing. Like after a while, I'm like, I don't want to hear anything that comes out of John Dean's yeah. mouth. But yeah. Hunt and Helms, their relationship was never the same after um, – Watergate that Hunt uh, Helms basically threw Hunt under the bus, and yeah, they it Hunt took that personally, you know. And yeah. um, Helms though pretty much died kind of almost squeaky clean, you know. He died in two thousand two, and other than his perjury conviction, that I think the uh, was was a fine a bunch of CIA people paid. Um, Hunt died. You know, I think I think he was dying of cancer or something. And his son said he confessed that where there was a confession that he was involved with JFK's assassination. Damn. Dude. And 
even that's kind of tough. I, I, uh, St. John hunts a very, very nice, smart guy. I've interacted with him on Facebook once or twice. Um, I believe him, but I think Hunt might have still been spinning stories, yeah. you know, as he got on. But Hunt, Hunt, Sturgis, and Barker have all been put in Dallas in some some stories on the day oh. of the Kennedy assassination. Phil, we're gonna have to do another show because there's so you you were I think Chris Graves in the chat, who's like you, you guys would get along. He looks sounds like he knows a thing or two about a thing or two. So we'll definitely do something else, but. Where can people find you if you want or whatever? Um, yeah, any links or I'll put it in the show notes too, but just for, for people listening. Yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter, uh, Vic Foster. Um, I got to send you my, um, I do uh, book reviews too. So we that's love like, that. Yes. That's how I do send a lot them. of, uh, I love when I can get conspiracy theory, uh, conspiracy books or uh, history books. I said, I love them and it's love just, it, dude. you know. Oh, you're going to join Odd Man of Mine book club. So awesome. So excited. Odd Man, where can they, as if they haven't found you already, if they, they, they where can they find you? Yeah, man, this has been a real pleasure. I've, I didn't know any of this stuff. So it's, it's been great to learn it finally. Uh, underscore the Odd Man out on Twitter or Instagram. And in the bio, it's got links to all my stuff. So just check it out. Thank you. Awesome. Well, yeah. So Phil, really, you re you blew me away. I was so impressed, dude. So we'll do this again. Everybody in the chat, thank you for coming. And uh, we'll talk. I'll be alive tomorrow on Thursday. So talk then, everybody. Peace. All right. Close it. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch -ch -chumba. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch -ch -chumba. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.